0: Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and join me once again in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. This morning we will press on in our series through the Ten Commandments looking at commandment number six. The message title is The Sanctity of Life. And as we prepare to dive in, I just have a simple question for you. When was the last time that you gave serious thought to murdering someone? You're like, wow, that got intense quick. Let's just say this. If that has been a serious thought anytime time recently, Pastor Cody would love to talk to you about that, and I encourage you to go see him. No. This morning, we are looking at this sixth commandment. That speaks very specifically about the issue of murder. And so I want us, as we prepare to do that, to go ahead. And many of us are probably thinking in this moment, okay, this probably doesn't apply to me, so I can just tune out. And I want to encourage you, tune in, because it will be important as we continue to walk our way through this morning to recognize that The Lord in his word gives us more than just this action of committing murder, but even drills down into our heart and whether we are hating other people. And so we're going to walk through that together this morning And as we prepare to do that, look with me at Exodus chapter 20. I want to read verses 1 through 21 again for us this morning to tune our hearts, our minds to the truth of God's word that he has delivered to us. This is what God's word says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. As we dive into this sixth commandment this morning, you can write down this main idea. It will frame our time together in God's word. It's this truth, every human life, is created in the image of God and should be valued. Every single human life is created in the image of God and should be valued. As we think through the Ten Commandments, let me remind you, especially if you're new to North River, you may be thinking, Why the Ten Commandments? Why are we walking through this series? Well, here's what I want you to understand about the Ten Commandments. Just a refresher this morning. What were their purpose? How do they help us today? Well, first, let me remind you that the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. They demonstrate God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's otherness from everything else. There is no one like Him. The Ten Commandments point to that reality for us. Secondly, the Ten Commandments expose our sinfulness. Paul says that they function like a mirror in our lives to show us that it is impossible in our own strength and in our own power to keep the law of God perfectly. We don't measure up to the standard which is utter perfection. That is the standard that God has placed before us. Which leads us to number three the Ten Commandments should drive us to Jesus. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is the only one who perfectly kept the law of God, and He did that, and it made it possible for Him to be the sacrifice for our sins. God's word tells us that the only sacrifice for sins that is acceptable in his eyes is one that is perfect, one that is without blemish. And God's word tells us that Jesus Christ is without blemish, never sinned during his time on this earth. And we have the privilege of being able to place our faith and trust in him for salvation. And so for us, the 10 commandments should drive us to recognize our only hope be forgiven of our sins is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. And can I just encourage you this morning to recognize, to see that what we are proclaiming is that your only hope is in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. This leads us to number four. The Ten Commandments provide us a guide to righteousness. You see, when we have repented of our sin, that is, turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus, the realization is that God saves us and that his spirit dwells within us and that his spirit enables us to pursue him in righteousness. And for us, the Ten Commandments give us a picture of what it looks like to love God, the first four commandments, and what it looks like to love others, the next six commandments. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love people. For us as followers of Jesus... That should be what we are pursuing in our lives day in and day out. With that said, let's look then this morning at verse 13. Let's look at this sixth commandment. Let's look at it, first of all, in its immediate context here in Exodus chapter 20. And as we do that, I want to remind you, as I have each week, that every single command that God gives to his people is grounded in verse 2 of Exodus chapter 20. The Lord says there, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house." of slavery. The Lord to his people says, remember who I am. I am the Lord. I am the one true God. I am that I am. There is no one like me. That's my identity. And then he reminds them as well of his relationship with them. I am the Lord, your God. And don't forget, that I have delivered you, I have rescued you from slavery in Egypt. And so the commands that follow are grounded in the reality of who God is, his relationship with his people, and how he has rescued them. And for us this morning, that same thing is true for us as well. So here we go. Verse 13. You shall not murder. That is the command that the Lord gives to his people. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a pen with you, simply underline the word murder because we need to unpack that word. What does it mean? And you may have a translation and the translation, or maybe you memorized it growing up, and it's the word kill in your translation. Well, let me just say to you that the better Translation is the word murder, and here's why. Murder equals the unjust taking of a legally innocent life. You may want to write that definition down so that you understand what is being communicated here by the Lord to his people. It is the unjust taking of a legally innocent life. Life. This will come into play as we continue to work our way through, as we expand, looking at it throughout all of Scripture this morning. But if I could encourage you with something this morning, just as a reminder, remember that God was sending his people into the promised land that he is giving to them. And he's saying to them, as you are preparing to enter into that promised land, do you want to thrive? Do you want to experience the abundant life that I have for you as my people? Well, these commands are going to give you a template, a framework for living the life that I have called you to live. And guess what? This may really surprise you, but one of the best ways to live an abundant life is not to be murdered, right? You can laugh there. It's okay. And so the Lord is saying to his people, you need to grasp how important life is. And so you can take this command that we've done each week in the negative sense that it's presented, you shall not murder. Let's take it and let's turn it into a positive sense for us to think through it this morning. Do everything you can to value, cherish, protect, and preserve innocent human life. The Lord to his people is saying to them, as you enter into this promised land, as you enter into this land that I am giving you, do everything that you can to value, to cherish, to protect, to preserve innocent human life. Because here's the reality, society flourishes when human life is valued. When we value human life, and this is gonna come important as we continue to work our way through, it does not matter race or ethnicity. It does not matter if there is disability, whether that's physical or intellectual. It does not matter if it's a baby or if it's an elderly person. It does not matter. It spans every single human being, is valuable and should be preserved, protected for us as followers of Jesus. Should be a bedrock for us as we think about this command this morning. So let's do as we've done each week. Let's zoom out. Let's consider this morning this command as we look at all of Scripture. What does God's Word say as we look across the canon about this command? You shall not murder. Well, first, let's ask this question, what is the foundation of this command? What is the foundation at its base level when God gives this command to his people? What is the foundation upon which this command is given? And you'll see this morning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In fact, you go all the way back to the beginning of God's word to creation and you realize that God says that he created mankind in his own image. Why is mankind valuable? Why are human beings distinct from every other part of creation? Human beings, we are the only part of God's creation that is created in his image. Why do we have value? Why do we have worth? Why do we have dignity? Why does God give this command? It is grounded in the reality of the fact that every single human being is created in the image of God. For us, that is, as followers of Jesus, the foundation for why we value every single human life. Now the question may come in following this as we continue to expand in Scripture, moving forward from this, how does this command function. So how do we think about this command as we walk through? Because you can probably in your mind, you're going to see some categories that are going to be listed here, some passages of scripture that'll follow as well. As we think about murder, as we think about abortion, as we think about euthanasia, as we think about suicide, as we think about self-defense, as we think about capital punishment and war, all of this comes to bear as we talk about this command specifically. And so here's what I want us to do as we walk through this, to begin to to think about, to tune our hearts, to tune our minds to when God gives this command that you shall not murder, when we think about the fact that every human being is created in the image of God Should be valued, should be given dignity. How do we understand then, as God's word expands, how do we recognize what he's saying about how this truth functions through scripture? Well, let's think about murder first and foremost. Now, murder will come into play as we continue to move our way through. In fact, if you look at those first four, murder, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, all of those would be murder. So we're going to unpack this as we continue to walk our way through. But when you think about murder, there are two categories typically, even in our laws, that disclose murder. Malicious intent, as it happens, or negligence. So both of those are at play when we talk about murder. In fact, as we look at God's word, we see that as well in Deuteronomy chapter 19, again in chapter 22, verse 8, again there in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, All of those detailing differing aspects of murder. That is premeditated murder, laying in wait, waiting so that you can murder someone. And the Lord says, that is not acceptable. All right? That is not okay. That is breaking this sixth command. But then you back up and realize as well, the Lord also speaks to negligence as it comes into play with murder, You think in that, and you go, okay, tell me, tell me what that would look like. Well, one of the descriptions there is, imagine that a house is being built. And for them, the rooftop terrace area would have been something that they would have gone up and been able to relax the cool of the day. They would have been able to experience it. So if someone is building a house, and they're building this rooftop terrace, but they don't section and gate that area off and someone were to go up and to actually step off the side of the house and fall and die, then the negligence of the person who was building the house comes into play. Or take into account as well, one of the situations that's described here as well is an ox that is known for goring people. Someone knows that, and yet they let their ox go freely, and it kills someone. At that, it would be negligent. Still, that person would be held accountable for murder. Now, the Lord, in his goodness and his kindness in the Old Testament, provided for them if murder happened unintentionally, that there was a place where the murderer could go, a city of Refuge. It's the most beautiful picture of, for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that Jesus Christ, as we move forward through Scripture, is our city of refuge. And in fact, if you think this morning, well, I've never been guilty of murder, here's the reality. You are guilty of murder because your sin and my sin put Jesus on the cross where he was murdered. So think about that. And recognize that there is forgiveness even for the murderer laid out here in God's Word. So murder that's malicious, that's premeditated, or murder that's negligent or unintentional, the Lord's Word speaks to that. We move forward. We look at the issue of abortion. This is an issue that is hot in our contemporary context today as we think about it, but I want to remind you what God's Word says in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. It reminds us that God is actively involved in conception and creation of the human life within a mother's womb. In fact, God's word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means every single human being, even in the womb at the moment of conception, is a life that should be valued. Which for us as we think about that, we look at our contemporary context and realize that that is not taking place in our culture today. And for us as followers of Jesus, Beyond a political matter, because when you begin to talk about abortion, everything goes to politics. Can I just go to the truth of what God's word says? God's word says that every single human life at the moment of conception should be valued, which means it should not be murdered. And abortion is not health care, it is murder. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, and I I know that maybe there's someone here that says, Pastor, I aborted a child. Where do I go at this point? Can I encourage you as well this morning to recognize that that sin can be forgiven by Jesus Christ's death on the cross? to recognize and understand that there is forgiveness even for those who have committed murder. We see that with David in the Old Testament. We see that with Paul moving forward in the New Testament, that God's grace meets us in our sin. But church, we cannot sit by and remain silent and not say that abortion is murder. As we move forward, we see another one. This is one that is becoming even more discussed, more talked about, euthanasia, or even elder-assisted suicide. So kind of put this in your, in your mind that gets to the point where someone is at the end of their life, or they've gotten a diagnosis that is terminal, and they say, instead of walking through this, just go ahead and kill me go ahead, doctor, and take me out. This was something that you've seen play out in the news, a whole lot of legal ramifications surrounding that. But what you have to understand is that in God's word, in Psalm 39, in Psalm 90, in Psalm 139, verse 16, what we see is that the days of our life are numbered by the Lord. And the psalmist says, every day that I am alive, that the Lord has given me, I will praise him, which means for us, as we think about this, we have to recognize and understand that every single one of us should see the days that God has given us as followers of Jesus as an opportunity to worship and to praise him. And so to cut that life short is not in alignment with what God's word tells us should be going on. Now, you may back up and you say, okay, hang on. Pastor, help me think about this a little bit. What if you're talking about in this situation like someone is at the end of their life and the only thing that's keeping them alive is some type of medical intervention? Is it ever okay in that situation to quote unquote pull the plug or to hold back of care in that moment? And I would say in that, that there is. I think you ought to talk about that. I think you ought to pray about that. I think you ought to listen to the wishes of the person involved. But what I'm talking about here is not that situation. What I'm talking about here is someone who is facing something towards the end of their life and says, just go ahead and take me out. And at that point, it falls in the category of murder. Moving forward, we look at suicide as well. Another area that God's word clearly calls murder. So you see this in Psalm 118, verse 17, then again in Matthew chapter 27, probably the one that we would know most uh, readily, which was Judas at the end of his life as he betrays Jesus, sees and recognizes what he's done, and instead of running to Jesus and falling on his knees before him and asking for his forgiveness, which we find Peter doing, Judas instead commits suicide, not recognizing the grace available to him that Jesus would readily give. And this is something that, unfortunately, church has become uber-popular in culture. I mean, there are entire television shows revolving around this issue as if it's a positive thing to commit suicide. And I want you to hear me this morning. If you are struggling there or you have been struggling in that, please reach out for help. I can assure you for your family, it is not best for you just to end your life and not be here any longer. And in fact, as you press in on God's word, you realize that that is murder. Murder of self. As you continue moving forward in scripture, you realize a couple of other things as well. What about, what about killing That's not in those first four categories, which God's word says are not permitted. Are there ever any instances where taking a life is permitted? And we see three of those that are outlined in scripture. The first one is self-defense. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 22, verses two through three, you see that displayed there. Someone comes into your house to rob you and you respond in force in that situation because there's nothing else that you can do. And at that point, What we see, the outlined, is that self-defense is permitted in that situation to take a life if that is the only option that you have to preserve your own life or someone else's. Not only that, we see this as well with capital punishment. Think about it for us would be the electric chair or the needle at the end of someone's life, someone who's convicted of a crime that warrants capital punishment. Genesis 9 verse 6 and then again in Romans 13 verse 4 says that the state bears the sword on behalf of the Lord to punish evildoers. And so as we look at that, that's not a command. It has to happen, but I think it gives us in God's word a clear indication that it is permitted to take a life that has been convicted of a capital offense. Then we come to the issue of war, and there's passages of scripture you see that follow there. God's people going to war as we think about it, even in our own country going to war. Is war permitted? Is it okay as a soldier to take the life of another soldier in the context of battle? And so as you look through Scripture, you see at least an indication that this is permitted under certain circumstances, and theologians have framed this as the just war theory. And so the The way they've described it is that as long as it's a legitimate government that is carrying this out, as long as it is a worthy cause, as long as it is an appropriate use of force, as long as there is a mindset to limit civilian casualties, and at the point that you've exhausted all other options to try to bring about peace in that situation— there is permission to go to war. Now, how does it function? Let's ask this third question. What about the heart? Because we've looked through Scripture, but there's a key passage as we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. I want you to listen as Jesus speaks about this command, you shall not murder, specifically. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever his brother, whoever does this to his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In fact, I want you to know that Jesus, talking with his disciples and the religious leaders of the day in the Sermon on the Mount, intensifies this command. He'll do this with the other commands that follow as well. Someone may say, well, as long as I don't act on it, it must be okay, right? Like if I just think murderous thoughts towards someone but don't actually murder them, then certainly I would be okay. I wouldn't be guilty of breaking this command. And Jesus says here, hold on just a second. What's going on in your heart? Do you hate your brother? Is that what's going on in your heart? Hatred towards someone else? And he says there, do you realize that you are just as guilty of committing the sin of murdering someone if you harbor hatred in your heart towards them? Now, all of a sudden, there's a different context as we think about this command. That Jesus intensifies it beyond the outward action to the heart of the matter of what's going on with all of us. And so Jesus says, to call someone a fool, that is to, to speak ill of them with hatred in your heart that you are just as guilty of committing murder as if you had actually gone out and murdered that person. So let's ask the question, what about today? This command, how do we think about it in our own lives? How do we seek as followers of Jesus to fulfill this command in our lives today? Well, you can write this down. We should treat every human life with dignity and worth because that human being is created in the image of God. For us as followers of Jesus, if we are going to love God well, love people well, we should see every single person as someone who is created in the image of God, and they deserve as a result of that dignity and worth. So let's ask some questions this morning as we consider this in our own lives. Here's question number one. Do I value human life? Ask yourself that question. Do I value human life? And then let's press it a little bit further. What would change about the way I treat people if I first saw them as someone made in God's image? Now think about that. As you look at people that you interact with, that boss that you don't like, the person who stole your parking spot at Publix, the person who cut you off on the interstate, what if the first thought in your mind about that person is, you know what, that is someone who is created in the image of God, and they deserve respect and dignity simply because of that reality. How would that change the way you treat people? Here's question number two. How can I actively promote the sanctity of life in a culture that often devalues human life, celebrates violence, and promotes the murder of the innocent? Ask yourself that question. How do you actively engage as a follower of Jesus in this culture in which we live to promote the sanctity of human life. It should impact every aspect of our lives. It should impact the way we care for people. It should impact the way we treat people. It should impact the way that we vote. It should impact the mission organizations that we are engaged with. Are we seeking to promote the flourishing of human life in this world that cares? Let's be honest, nothing much at all about human life. Here's question number three. Is there someone in my life that is difficult to love? Let me press it a little bit further. Maybe someone that you hate. Right now, that name just popped in your head. Think about this. How does Jesus's intensification of this command impact that relationship? Maybe repentance is in store this morning for you as you think about that. Maybe it's not things that you've acted on. Maybe the reality is it's what's going on in your heart that you need to repent of this morning, your hatred towards that person or towards that group of people. And for you, you say, I need to recognize that this path is not a path of walking in love for others. Question number four. What is one practical way, one practical way that I can value human life this week? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team comes back up. As you think about this command, as you think about what's going on in your heart, as you relate to people, as you think about people, maybe this is a moment of repentance for you as a follower of Jesus, simply to say, God, forgive me for the way that I see people, not as made in your image, but with hate, with distaste in my mouth towards them. Maybe for you this morning, you are truly struggling as you think about your own life. Maybe you've battled thoughts of suicide. Maybe for you, you are wrestling through an abortion in your past. Maybe for you this morning, as you look at this, you say, I just need to spend some time in prayer before the Lord seeking his forgiveness, getting the help that I desperately need this morning. Maybe for you, the step you need to take is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, one who was murdered as a result of your sin and my sin, but willingly laid his life down and rose from the dead, securing forgiveness of our sins, salvation for all who would turn from their sin and trust in him. Maybe for you, that's the step this morning you need to take. Father, we thank you for your word. God, use it in our hearts and our lives this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, join us as we sing. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. Our altar is open. Our pastors are down front. You come.